the book of Numbers. And last week it was Leviticus. This week we're in Numbers. Maybe next week we'll be in Deuteronomy. Who knows? Uh, But uh, the book of Numbers. In chapter 11 and verse 1, I am so excited today uh, for what God's going to do in this house. There's a high level of excitement in the seats today. Amen. Evangelist Darian Sparks is going to be with us, uh, and you will get to see Devin and Darian in the same place at the same time, and I'm excited for that. Amen. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1, when you're there, say amen. Awesome. It's on the screen over my head probably. Uh, So we're all there. And when the people complained, everybody say complained. It displeased the Lord. Everybody say displeased. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Uh, Before anybody gets worried, I'm not preaching that the fire of God is going to fall and consume those who are complaining. But it is an interesting sequence of events. And being as these things were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come, it should be a teachable moment for us. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched, and he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude... That was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. I want to teach for the next few moments on this thought, going back won't save you. Would you set your Bible to the side for a moment? Would you lift your hands in the air and ask Jesus to have his way in this place? God, I pray that you would move in this house this morning. Lord, I'm not asking for or expecting people to shout, to run, to dance. But Lord, let your word find its way into the heart. Let it find good ground in this place today. We scare off the fowl of the air. God, we scare off that fowl that would snatch the seed. And Lord, every piece of stony ground, let it be dug up every place where there are thorns and thistles God I ask you to root them out right now Uh, I pray that the seed of your word would land upon good ground anoint my lips God to teach your already anointed word I love you and I worship you would you clap your hands to the Lord uh, and lift up a sound of praise in this place amen going back won't save you. This is one of those words that you may not need it right now. Perhaps it is preventative medicine, but I do feel strongly that God has a word for somebody today. I do not know who, and so rest assured today, if 
The word stings. I was not targeting you. Uh, That is just the Holy Ghost bringing the word home to your heart. There is a mindset that I have witnessed many times over the last decade or so. People come to the house of God. They often come in a time when they are broken and desperate. And they step into a service and feel the presence of God. How many are thankful that we can feel God's goodness in this atmosphere? If you're wondering what that is, that's not the, the shrimp you had yesterday. That's not the pepperoni pizza. That is the Holy Ghost moving through this house. Now, God is more than a feeling, but we can feel and discern God. And so people will enjoy that presence of the Lord. And they will begin to yield to that presence of the Holy Ghost. And they will begin to allow God to have His way in their lives. And the gospel, when you apply it to your life, brings with it a redemptive lift. Your life is lifted up by the gospel. Your home becomes more peaceful. Your marriage becomes more peaceful. Your personal relationships become more peaceful. Inside of yourself, you can find greater peace. All by obeying the gospel. Well, bless God. Okay. And then something interesting happens. There are two different routes. The one route is... The urgency is gone, and the, the, the pain that drove you to the house of God is gone, and so the urgency in the house of God slacks as well. And the other one is that when you begin to press into a new realm, When you as an individual have been praying and fasting and seeking after God, or when we as a church are trying to press into another realm in the Holy Ghost, there is a pushback that comes. Let me just help somebody today. If you've been pressing to get closer to God and all you feel is more and more push and more and more resistance from the enemy, that is a sign to you that you are almost, you are just about to break through into a new realm, into a new place. It's as if the door to the next level is open over your head and you're reaching for it, but the ladder has been pulled up and so you must press for it, you must strive for it, you must reach for it. But the mindset will come to somebody that tells them, look, when I wasn't pressing, I didn't feel the enemy. When I wasn't pressing, my life seemed better. When I wasn't pushing, everything seemed smoother. Here I am 
fasting like I've never fasted before and my finances are gone. Here I am praying like I've never prayed before and that just feels like conflict. Here I am going after God like I've ever go- never gone before and it feels like all hell is pushing back on me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in this place today? Well, I've come just to remind somebody this morning that going back uh, is not going to save you. It is not your answer. The only answer is uh, to press ahead in the Holy Ghost. The only answer is to keep pushing. The only answer uh, is to put on the whole armor of God uh, and press forward like never before and going back will never save you. And so the people of Israel at this point have been walking in the wilderness for a little over two years. They have seen God at Mount Sinai. He has given them the law. And they are on their way to enter the promised land. They're on their way to go in. And before they can get there, a complaining spirit begins to move into their lives. Be careful when you find a complaint regularly on your lips. When your first instinct is to complain and to moan about how bad everything is, you need to question what spirit is that of. That is not a godly spirit. That is not a holy spirit. That is not a thankful spirit. That is a spirit with hellish intention to raise up. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. That is a spirit of hellish intention to raise up discontent in the people. And the Bible says that as they complained, God was displeased. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I want to hear your opinion. I want to know if it was too loud. I want to know if it was too hot. I want to know if it was too cold. I want to know if I preached too long or if we preached too short. I want to know those things. Uh, But there is a manner of communicating that that can be done without complaint. When a critical spirit begins to be your default and your reflex, you need to stop in the Holy Ghost and say, wait a second, where is this coming from? Because a critical spirit is not of God. Well, we're doing good. All right. Remember, I'm not targeting anybody. I promise you. And so they complained and God was displeased. We read it all the time, but perhaps maybe we should just preach it and practice it a little bit more. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, the Bible says, Yet true godliness with contentment in the New Living Translation, is itself a great wealth. Listen, you can complain about everything that's gone wrong in your life, or you can be content in the fact that you're an adopted son of God, uh, and you have the right to cry out, Abba, Father. Paul is in a prison when he writes this. Uh, He suffered the loss of all things, but in another place he says, I counted it as but 
dung. It was nothing to me. If we could learn to be content uh, in God. Uh, look, the new car is not going to bring contentment. The new house is not going to bring contentment. The new 401k uh, is not going to do it. A new pastor is not. If you're discontent now, uh, a new pastor is not going to bring contentment. Uh, a new church, a new state, a new city, uh, a new wife, uh, uh, maybe different children. Everything uh, in your life, you can learn to be content with it. Which is why Paul would write in Philippians and say, I have learned whatever state I am in to be content. It takes learning. And then they begin to do something incredible. In verse 4 it says, the mixed multitude, the people that were half Israelite or a portion of Israelite, Listen, this is a, a come-as-you-are church, and I want everybody, everybody, everybody in Watertown to come through the doors of these church. But I'm so thankful to follow and to serve a God uh, that is not content to leave me like he found me. Uh, we are not after a mixed multitude. We are after a holy people. Uh, we are after a people that are sold out uh, to holiness, to a righteous life, uh, not by our own ability, not by our own power, uh, not by me just handing out a list of rules and regulation, uh, but from the pew, a desire in the heart to be pure and to be holy and to be right with God. Because when you are not, you'll fall a-lusting. And they bring even the children of Israel into weeping again. And look what they ask. Who will give us flesh to eat. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And that all sounds real nice and good right now, doesn't it? And they said, but our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Your enemy and your flesh have a way of only remembering the good. They have a way of only remembering those things that you, you perceive as good when you were in the world. Can I tell you nothing in Egypt was free? They did not eat of fish freely. They ate of fish as slaves for 400 years. Uh, it was not free. Your life in this world prior to your obedience to the gospel, there was nothing good about it. Uh, you were sold in sin. You were under bondage. Uh, you were a slave to your own addictions and the lust of your flesh. Uh, stop remembering it as if those were the glory days. I used to have so much fun, but now I serve the Lord. Oh, man, I, oh, I remember those times in high school, but now, now, whew, I'm, a, I'm a holy man. We can giggle, but we do it all the time. 
And the enemy of our soul likes to remind us of those things. He likes to remind us of the days uh, before we were fasting, before we were praying, before we were pushing. When we, he just left us alone, we could maybe come and boogaloo a little bit and have good church. Uh, but I've come to remind somebody uh, there was nothing free in Egypt. They were slaves. Uh, there was nothing free in your past. You were a slave. Uh, I don't care uh, if it felt like your finances were stripped away. Uh, no, you're more blessed now than you ever were. I don't care if it feels like you've got nothing. If you've got Jesus, you've got access to the greatest thing you could ever have access to. Nothing in this world is free. And this complaining attitude led them to despise the manna that God provided. Can you imagine being so critical of God's provision that you're wondering how to get back to Egypt so you could eat the free fish? And they said, we have nothing. Well, except for this manna which is in front of us. Can you see the absurdity of this position? But a complaining mindset and a critical spirit will lead you to a place where you are focused on what the enemy wants you to be focused on and not focused on the blessings of God. To this point in time, God has sustained them miraculously with bread that falls from heaven six days a week. You don't have to farm. All you got to do is go out and pick it up every single day. To this point in time, they did not have to sow new garments or cobble new shoes. God uh, maintained the shoes on their feet and the clothes on their back uh, and they had the audacity to say, man, it was better before God was providing for me. It's important for us to understand their discontent weighed down Moses. Just a few verses later in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 14, it says, I, Moses is crying out to God. He's crying out to God. Before Moses has said, look, if God, if you won't go with us, or later he says this, if you won't go with us, uh, then, then just, no, we don't want to go at all. If you're going to wipe them out, you've got to wipe me out. But look at what he says this time. This is Moses', it's like his breaking point. I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. The displeasure of God at the complaining of the people the bearing of the burden had driven Moses to a place where he said, God, I know I've got your favor. Please kill me. I can't do this anymore, God. Just kill me. Now, I'm thankful for some prayer requests that God does not answer. 
Again, I, I am not saying that I'm in this place where I'm about to pray God kill me, okay? Please don't misunderstand me. That's not what I'm asking or what I'm saying in this place. But we're, we're just taking a little medicine this morning to, to armor ourselves against some mindsets. And so Moses begins to cry out to God, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, just, just kill me. I'm done. I can't do this anymore, Lord. So the end of the story is pretty interesting. God, God answers their prayer, and he demonstrates his ability. He sends quail to the camp. And the Bible says that it rained quail. You've heard of raining cats and dogs, but this is quail. And like me and my hunting dog, man, we would have a blast if quail were raining from the sky. Whew! I don't have enough shells in my house, just kidding, I might, uh, to, to harvest the amount of quail that my wife's shaking her head right now. I don't have enough, okay? I'm low after the last season. We got we to gotta stock back up. But the Bible says in the middle of the desert, the God who they were complaining about rains quail on them a day's journey every direction, two cubits deep. That's about three feet it's not a quail in that bush and a quail over there behind that bush. It is piles of quail. I've gone pheasant hunting at some pretty cool locations. I have never seen three-foot-deep birds piled up. But God demonstrates to them, look, you think I can't provide for you? He was, as it says in another place, he tested them by the waters of Meribah. He was testing their spirit. And when you begin to demonstrate to God in a time of testing a critical spirit and a complaining spirit, the answer you get from God is not going to be the answer he wanted to give you. And so he rains quail three feet deep, a day's journey. That's a lot of birds. You got feather duvets, for days. And ere it was in their teeth, Numbers says, God begins to smite them and the people begin to weep again. You see, going back is not the answer. This world has nothing for you. There is nothing good in this world, and you were not free in this world. You were a slave to sin. I know your life in this world might have been okay. I know you might look at the lives of some people in this world and think, man, they got it all together. He's a banker. They're pulling in good money. She drives a G-Wagon. It's, it's just amazing. Man, look at them. But if you don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, none of that is going to matter. But the enemy of your soul would like you to focus on that more than every blessing that God has provided. And so now they find themselves at the point of the Jordan River. And we are familiar with the story. Twelve spies are sent. And ten come back with a negative report. Two come back with a positive report. But in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 31, we pick up the narrative and it says, the men that went, went up with him said, so this is after Caleb has spoken in the ears of the people and, and said, look, this, this land is awesome and God's going to give it to us. 
Can I tell you that Watertown is awesome, South Dakota is awesome, and God is going to give it to us. God is going to give it to us. And they said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they have searched unto the children of Israel, and saying, the land that we have gone through to search, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in our men of great stature. And we saw giants and the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. But the problem was, uh, again, perspective was totally wrong uh, because they did not consider what they were in God's sight. Uh, your own sight does not matter. The sight of the enemy does not matter. It is the sight of God. God uh, that matters and God uh, had promised to bring them up into the land and God uh, has promised and spoken some things over this church and God uh, has promised and spoken some things over your life as an individual uh, if he bothered to fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, he has promised to set you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus you have been filled uh, with the riches of his grace and his goodness uh, you have been filled with his power and his love uh, and the enemy would like to dissuade you of that but going back is not going to save you so all the congregation, again, they lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Your voice is powerful. Why don't you just use it to praise God and speak faith instead of complaining and moaning? And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and against the whole, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt... There it is again. Every time something hard comes up, oh man, I just want to go back to Egypt. I just want to go back to the way it was. Nobody in the, this isn't in my notes, but I, I feel it right now. Nobody in this room is called just to be a pew-filling saint. You don't have that option. You don't get to just show up and, and, and every once in a while stick a little something in the offering plate and be like, all right, that's it. That's all I'm going to do. No, sir. No, ma'am. You are called to be a dynamic man and woman of God. And the gifts, God giveth a gift to every man severally as he will. God will anoint every. It, it, there's not a separation of ministry and laity. Not in the kingdom of God. No, no. Every single born again believer is called to be a mighty man or woman of God. And they, they began to complain and murmur against Moses and Aaron and say, oh, I just wish we could have died in the land of Egypt. Or maybe God just in this wilderness, just let me die here. Wherefore hath God brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Isn't it better for us to return into Egypt? Again, perspective, totally wrong. God did not bring them there to fall by the sword or for their wives and children to be a prey. God brought them there to give them the land. 
And so they say, let's go back to Egypt. Let's make us a captain and return into Egypt. If you allow a complaining spirit or a critical spirit to reside in you long enough, you will find yourself shaking off the supposed shackles of God-ordained leaders and naming your own to lead you where you want to go, not to where God wants to go. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And we're familiar with much of the story. Now, instead of two years in the wilderness and God showing himself mighty, they now wander for 38 years in the wilderness, walking in circles. Why? Because they refuse to believe the voice of God. They refuse to believe the promises of God. They were more focused on how they perceived it back in the land of bondage than they looked at the land of promise. God just might lead you through a period of testing and trying and your response to it will determine whether it's a two year period or a 38 year period. Your response to the voice of God and the promises of God will determine how long you wander in the wilderness but make no mistake about it. It is still God's desire and plan to bring you into the promised land. It's still his purpose to bring you in. Uh, He will provide for you in the wilderness. Uh, He will care for you in the wilderness. After this moment, when they refused to go in and they begged to go back to Egypt, and then they flip-flopped again and they said, you know what, we can do this. And they named themselves a military commander and tried to conquer the land on their own and were slaughtered. Uh, God still provided for them manna six days a week. As rebellious and broken as they were, God still rained from the heavens manna every single day. Listen, God is not going to throw you off out of hand just because you're going through a dry place. He's not going to discard you out of hand just because you're going through a hard time. He'll still provide for you. He'll still lead you by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He'll still accept sacrifices and he'll still rain manna from heaven. But your response can shorten your wilderness season. And the children of Israel never got rid of their desire to go back to Egypt. In Jeremiah chapter 44, Babylon has conquered Jerusalem. The children of Israel, the northern kingdom, has already gone. They've been in captivity in the land of Assyria for years. Judah has now been conquered. Jerusalem has fallen. And a small remnant remains in the land of Judah. And God, through the voice of the prophet, promises to sustain them and to bless them. Again, if you're looking, well, never mind. We won't beat a dead horse. Let's keep going. It's going to come up in the text anyways. And they get this bright idea. It's not safe for us here. We should go somewhere else. How about Egypt? And so they begin to make them a captain. And they, all of the people together, head towards the land of Egypt. Now, Remember the context, they faced some pretty serious battle. Jerusalem has been under siege for about a year and a half. 
It goes down. They witness all the destruction. But God continues to speak to them. See, to always want to go back to the land of Egypt, you have to jump over the promises of God. A critical, complaining spirit will silence the promises of God. And so there it is again. We remember the fish and the garlic and the leeks and the onions. We remember all that which we did eat in Egypt freely. Let's go back there. And so they find themselves in the land of Egypt, and now the message from God, it changes. He says in Jeremiah 44, 11, I will set my face against you for evil and to cut off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah that have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to sojourn there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. His promise to them, his promise to them was every man of Judah that returns to the land of Egypt will be cut off. The previous promise was, you stay where I told you to stay, and I'll protect you. But it's hard. But we're broke. But we don't know where we're going to get food. Ah, but the blessings of God are upon you. Do not mistake your earthly circumstances for a lack of blessing from God. Do not mistake the blessings that others walk in, the, the so-called blessings, the finances, the homes, the health that others walk in for them having the favor of God. And so look at what happens. In verse 15, it says this, Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in Egypt, in Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, Look, as for the word of the Lord, or unto us in the name of the Lord that you have spoken, we will not hearken unto thee. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing that goeth forth out of our own mouth. I'm going to be in charge of my own life. I don't need God telling me what to do. I don't need Jeremiah telling me what to do. I'm going to do what came out of my own mouth. And they say, we're going to burn incense to the queen of heaven. We're going to pour out drink offerings under her. We're going to do as we have done, we and our fathers and our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem. Watch this. For then we had plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. No, you didn't. There it is again, that complaining and critical spirit will rob you of keeping your focus and perspective of God and will only allow you to remember the good, the good things before. They were under siege. They were not free. 
They had been vassals to stronger states for decades, for generations. They were not free. Their land was being robbed from them. The crops were being stolen. They did not have victuals aplenty. But the enemy had planted in their mind the thought that if I just give up and go back to Egypt, if I just give up on the promises of God, I'll go back to some supposed state of bliss. But I've come to warn somebody today that going back is never going to save you. And so they made up in their mind, we're just going to keep doing what we have done. Not knowing all along that burning incense to the queen of heaven was what landed them in this predicament. Their rebellious attitude was what landed them in this predicament. In John chapter 21 and verse 3, if you think this is just an Old Testament context, I didn't give this to the media team, I'm sorry, but the gospel of John chapter 21 Let's pull up the whole thing. Let's all stand together in this place. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. Simon, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. So we're up to seven disciples. And Simon Peter said unto them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Jesus, man, it was awesome walking with him. That was so fun. Nathaniel, you remember when those blinded eyes were open? Oh, I remember when those blinded eyes were open. How about you, sons of Zebedee? You remember that one time you're like, I'm going to call down fire from heaven and Jesus rebuked you? Not to be outdone, I'm sure they said, how about you, Pete? You remember that one time you said you would die with Jesus and he rebuked you? And uncertainty about the promises of God took their eyes off of Jesus. They've already seen him risen. And Peter says, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. It was better then. And the danger of going fishing, the danger of returning, is that Peter took six other disciples with him. Because a discontented spirit will always bring somebody else with it. And the Bible says that he's out on the boat fishing all night, and he catches nothing. He didn't remember that part of his old life. Satan will always remind you of how fun it was to be laughing and carousing at the bars. He'll never remind you of the Saturday morning hangover. He'll plant a seed in your mind that lets you think, man, sleeping around, oh, this is great. It's amazing. Until you wake up next to somebody, you don't have a clue who they are. Consequences are never reminded by Satan. Only the good, only the pleasure, only the fun. 
And so Peter has toiled all night long and caught nothing. But then on the shore shows up somebody that says, hey, just let your nets down for a drought. Maybe from the distance and maybe because God had shielded himself from them, they didn't know that it was Jesus. And they begin to protest, but eventually they let down the net and the net begins to break. And something breaks inside of Peter that recognizes his desperation for God. His brokenness without God. Going back is not going to save you. Only walking with Jesus Christ is going to provide the answers that you want. Uh, it is, it, look, this world has nothing for you. Your life was not better. Your life will not be better if you quit pressing into the presence of God. Uh, do not, do not, do not uh, conflate this momentary vapor-like existence to the riches that will be attained in eternity. This life is but for a moment. It is fleeting. It is fleeting. It is fleeting. If you live in a cardboard box under a bridge uh, and you're digging through a dumpster for food uh, and that's all you have to scrape out a meager existence, uh, I want you to keep your eyes focused on the fact uh, that God has promised to pour out the riches uh, of his grace upon his children in another world that is to come. Uh, and in that world, uh, forever I'll be with him. But Peter recognizes his desperate need for Jesus and flings himself overboard and swims desperately. Forget the catch of fish. Forget, and the Bible records exactly how many fish it was. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm not looking at the text. It's either 153 or, yeah, it's 153. Look at that. Why does it record that? I've said this before. It's the biggest catch he's ever had. But when he walks with Jesus, just a few days later, he catches 3,000. And then he catches 5,000. And then he catches the Samaritans. And then he catches the Gentiles. And Peter, with the keys to the kingdom, is the one that opens up the door of salvation to you and I all across this world today.